twenty-second paper of the last day of the condemned by victor hugo this box recording is in the public domain twenty-second paper all my resolution abandoned me when i reached the low doors private stairs and interior corridors which are only entered by the condemned the officer still accompanied me the priest had left me for a couple of hours the chance to read the papers i was then taken to the governor into whose charge the officer gave me they made an exchange the director told him to wait a moment as he had some game for him to take back in the van to the bicetre no doubt it was the man condemned today he is to sleep to-night on the bundle of straw which i have not had time to wear out oh very well said the officer to the governor i will wait with pleasure we can make out the two papers jointly and it will be very convenient they then placed me in a small room adjoining the governor's office and left me locked in alone i know not of what i was thinking or how long i had been there when a sudden loud burst of laughter in my ear dispersed my reverie i raised my eyes with a start i was no longer alone in the cell a man was beside me he was about fifty-five years old middle-sized wrinkled stooping and bald with a sinister cast in his grey eyes and a bitter sneer on his countenance he was dirty half-clothed ragged disgusting we looked at each other steadfastly for some moments he prolonging his bitter laugh while i felt half astonished half alarmed who are you said i to him at last that is a funny question said he i am a frioche a frioche said i what does that mean this question redoubled his laughter why cried he in the midst of a shout of laughter it means that they will play the same game with my head in six weeks since as they will with thine in six hours ha 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 thou seems to understand now and truly i was pale and my hair stood on end this then was the other condemned prisoner the one just sentenced whom they expected the bicetre the heir of my cell he continued never mind here's my history i am son of a famous thief it is a pity that they gave him one day a hempen cravat it was during the reign of the gallows by the grace of heaven at six years of age i had neither father nor mother in summer i turned somersets in the dust on the high road carriage travellers might throw me money in winter i walked with naked feet in the mud in ragged clothes and blowing on my purple hands to excite pity at nine years old i began to use my fingers at times i emptied a pocket or a reticule at ten years old i was a pilferer then i made acquaintances and at seventeen i became a thief i broke into a shop 
I robbed the till. I was taken and sent to the galleys. What a hard life that was! Sleeping on bare boards, drinking plain water, eating black bread, dragging a stupid fetter which was of no use. Sun strokes and whip strokes. And then all the heads are kept shaved, and I had such fine chestnut hair. Never mind. I served my time fifteen years. That wears one famously. I was two and thirty years old one fine morning. They gave me a map of the road, a passport, and sixty-six francs, which I had amassed in my fifteen years at the galleys working sixteen hours a day, thirty days a month, twelve months a year. Never mind. I wish to be an honest man with my sixty-six francs, and I had finer sentiments under my rags than you might find beneath the cassock of a priest. But deuce take the passport. It was yellow, and they had written upon it, Freed Convict. I was obliged to show this at every village and to present it every week to the mayors of the towns through which I was ordered to pass. A fine recommendation! A galley convict! I frightened all the folk, and little children ran away, and people locked their doors. No one would give me work. I expended the last of my sixty-six francs, and then one must live. I showed my arms fit for labour. The people shut their doors. I offered my day's work for fifteen sous, for ten sous, for five sous, and no one would have me. What could be done? One day, being hungry, I knocked my elbow through a baker's window. I seized on a loaf, and the baker seized on me. I did not eat the loaf, yet I was condemned to the galleys for life. With three letters branded on my shoulder, I'll show them to you if you like. They call that sort of justice the relapse. So here I was, a returned horse. I was brought back to Toulon, this time among the green caps, galley slaves for life. So now I decided to escape. I had only three walls to pierce, two chains to break, and I had one nail. I escaped. They fired the signal gun, for we convicts are like the cardinals of Rome dressed in red, and they fire cannons when we depart. Their powder went to the sparrows. This time, no yellow passport, but then no money either. I met some comrades in the neighbourhood who had also served their time or broken their chains. Their captain proposed to me to join the band. They killed on the highways. I acceded, and I began to kill to live. Sometimes we attacked a diligence. Sometimes it was a post-chaise. Sometimes a grazier on horseback. We took the money, we let the horses go, and buried the bodies under a tree, taking care that their feet did not appear. And then we danced in the graves so that the ground might not seem fresh-broken. I grew old this way, hiding in the bushes, sleeping in the air, hunted from wood to wood, but at least free in my own master. Everything has an end, and this like the rest. The gendarmes one night 
Caught inside our tricks, my comrades escaped. But I, the oldest, remained under the claw of these cats in crooked hats. They brought me here. I had already mounted all the steps of the justice ladder except one. Whether I had now taken a handkerchief or a life was all the same for me. There was but one relapse to give me, the executioner. My business has been short. Faith, I began to grow old and good for nothing. My father married the widow, what's happened, and I'm going to retire to the Abbey of mont regret the guillotine. That's all, comrade. I remained stupefied during the recital. He laughed louder than at the beginning and tried to take my hand. I drew back in horror. Friend, cried he, you don't seem game. Don't be foolish on the scaffold, you see. There is one bad moment to pass on the board, but that's so soon done. I should like to be there to show you the step. Faith. I've a great mind not to plead if they will finish me with you today. The same priest will serve us both. You see I'm a good fellow, eh? I say, shall we be friends? Again he advanced a step nearer to me. Sir, I answered, repulsing him, I decline it. Fresh bursts of laughter at my answer. Ha! <laughs> Sir, you must be a marquis. I interrupted him. Friend, I require reflection. Leave me in peace. The gravity of my tone rendered him instantly thoughtful. He shook his grey and nearly bald head, while he murmured between his teeth, I understand now. The priest? After a few minutes' silence, he said to me, almost timidly, Sir, you are a marquis. That is all very well. But you have on such a nice greatcoat, which will not be of much use to you. The executioner will take it. Give it to me, and I will sell it for tobacco. I took off my great cloak and gave it to him. He began to clap his hands with childish joy, then looking at my shirt sleeves, and seeing that I shivered, he added, You are cold, sir. Put on this. It rains, and you will be wet through. Besides, you want to go decently on the wagon. While saying this, he took off his coarse, grace woolen jacket, and put my arms into it, which I allowed him to do unconsciously. I then leaned against the wall, and I could not describe the effect this man had on me. He was examining the coat which I had given him, and uttered each moment an exclamation of delight. The pockets are quite new. The collar is not in the least worn. It will bring me at least fifteen francs. What luck! I shall have tobacco during all my six weeks. The door opened again. They were come to conduct me to the room where the condemned finally await their execution. And the guard was also come to take the other prisoner to the Bicetre. He placed himself laughingly amongst them and said to the gendarmes, I say, don't make a mistake. We have changed skins, the gentleman and I, but don't take me in his place. That won't suit me at all, now that I can have tobacco for six weeks. Twenty-third paper That old scoundrel 
He took my great coat from me, for I did not give it to him, and then he left me this rag, his odious jacket. For whom shall I be taken? It was not from indifference or from charity that I let him take it. No, but because he was stronger than I. If I had refused, he would have beaten me with those great coarse hands. Charity, indeed. It was full of bad feeling. I should like to have strangled him with my own hands, the old thief, who trampled him under my feet. I feel my heart full of rage and bitterness, and my nature turned to gall. The approach of violent death renders one wicked. 24th paper They brought me into an empty cell. I asked for a table, a chair, and writing materials. When all these were brought, I asked for a bed. The turnkey eyed me with astonishment and seemed mentally to say, What will be the use of it? However, they made up a chaff bed in the corner. But at the same time, a gendarme came to install himself in what was called my chamber. Are they afraid that I would strangle myself with the mattress? Twenty-fifth paper. It is ten o'clock. Oh, my poor little girl. In six hours more, thy father will be dead. Something to be dragged about the tables of lecturing rooms. A head to be cast by one party, a trunk to be dissected by another, then all to be thrown together into a bier and dispatched to the felon's burial ground. This is what they are going to do with thy father. Yet none of them hate me. All pity me, and all could save me. They are going to kill me, Mary, to kill me in cold blood, ceremonial for the general good poor little girl thy father who loved thee so well thy father who kissed her little white neck who passed his hand so fondly through the ringlets of thy silken hair who danced thee on his knee and every evening joined thy two little hands and prayed to god who will do all this for thee in future who now will love thee? My darling child, what wilt thou do for my presence? Pretty playthings and kisses. Ah, unfortunate orphan, what wilt thou do for food and raiment? If the jury had seen thee, my pretty little Mary, he would have understood it was wrong to kill the father of a child three years old. And when she grows up, what will become of her? Her father will be one of the disgraces of Paris. She will blush for me and at hearing my name. She will be despised, rejected, reviled, on account of him who loved her with all the tenderness of his heart. Oh, my little Mary, whom I so idolized, can it be true that thou wilt encounter shame and horror through me? Oh, can it be true that I shall die before the close of day? Those distant shouts which I hear, that mass of animated spectators who are already hastening to the quays, those gendarmes preparing their barracks, is it all for me? Yes, I, myself, am going to die. This actual self which is here, which lives, moves, breathes, this self which I 
touch and can feel. 26th paper If I even knew how it is built, and in what way one dies upon it, but it is horrible, I do not know this. The very name of it is frightful, and I cannot understand how I have hitherto been able to write and utter it. The idea I attach to this hateful name is vague, undefined, and therefore more sinister. I construct and demolish in my mind continually its hideous scaffolding. I dare not ask a question about it. Yet it is dreadful not to know what it is, and how to act. I fancy there is a sort of hollow, and that you will lay on your face, and... Ah! My hair will be white before my head falls. 27th paper I had a glimpse of it once. I was passing by the grave in a carriage about eleven o'clock one morning when a crowd impeded our progress. I looked out of the window. A dense throng of men, women, and children filled the place and the neighboring streets. Above the crowd I saw a kind of frame of red wood which three men were building. I turned away my head with disgust. Close to the carriage there was a woman who said to a child, Now look, the axe slides badly. They are going to grease the slide with a candle end. They are probably doing the same now. Eleven o'clock has just struck. No doubt they are greasing the slide. Oh, unhappy creature! This time I shall not turn away my head. Twenty-eighth paper Over oh, pardon! My reprieve! Perhaps I shall be pardoned. The king has no dislike to me. I wish to see my lawyer. He was right. I should prefer the galleys. Five years of the galleys, nay, twenty years, or even the galleys for life. Yes, and to be branded with letters. But it would let me have a reprieve of my life. Galleys slave can move, come and go, and see the sunshine. Oh, I must see my lawyer. He shall discover some new plea to urge in mitigation of my sentence. How can I thus write, when every point of his eloquence has already failed? been unanswerably refuted. End of 28th paper